0: Well, friends, if we could turn to 1 Samuel 12. So we're jumping uh, forward four chapters. 1 Samuel 12, we'll read the first 11 verses. 1 Samuel 12, verse 1. Now, Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me, and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and grey-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, He sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the the Baals and Ashtoreths, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies. And we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam, Beden, Jephthah, and Samuel. And delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you dwelt in safety. Amen. So read uh, the word of God. Now we are, I say we're just stepping into first Samuel. And although uh, in recent weeks, uh, as I say, we're... we're When I started this, I said we would be looking at prayer, but we haven't been specifically looking at prayer, but we've been trying to to be aware of the the prayers and the petitions that have been uh, certainly implied in the chapters that we have considered. Uh, Since our consideration of Hannah's prayer, we've really been touching on Samuel's life from the very time of his conception Uh, to this point in his life when he's an old man. Hannah, if you remember, had asked for him. God give him to Hannah. And she in turn had lent him back to the Lord. And as we come now to chapter 12, he tells us in verse 2 that he is now old and grey-headed. He's actually admitting what the elders had said back in chapter 8. It's not always easy to admit that. You know, the first time somebody calls you old, it takes you back a bit. And it's the inevitability of life, isn't it? You will end up, if you live long enough, old and grey. Not that you have to be old to be grey. I've told you, told you a few times that in the first... Gray hair appeared in my head when I was eighteen, and the ribbing that I got, you know, uh, going gray at eight, eighteen, uh, and you may not even get to be gray as you know. And certainly, all the all the ones that laughed laughed at me and give me a ribbing, they would they would love to have a head of gray hair today. You know, they're all baldy as coots. Um, but anyway, we recognise that. In the normal routine of things. As the writer of Ecclesiastes 3 says. 3 verse 1. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. And it's this to which Samuel is referring. At the end of chapter 11. Saul had been made king before the Lord at Gilgal. And it seems to have been. The end. When you read the other, you know, four chapters, it seems to be the end of a four-stage process. Uh, say, say, starting back certainly in chapter nine of this uh, anointing of Saul as king. but the focus is inevitably shifting, and Samuel is recognising now, uh, certainly realising now, that the role that he has played for. Many, many decades, the role that he has played is, as as judge is about to change, and so, in the light of that, Samuel sets out the state of the union, the state of the union between uh, God and the nation itself it 's actually a pivotal moment of transition and just by way of information uh, chapter. Twelve is providing the details of what is given as summary at the end of uh, chapter 11. You look at chapter 11 verses uh, 14 and 15. Uh, Samuel uh, said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And so verse 15, all the people went to Gilgal and there had... There they made Saul keen before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. I just put that little thought in the back burner as we move through this tonight and next week. But uh, chapter twelve probably say provides the wider framework of what is summarized for us there at the end of chapter 11 with that said uh, Samuel used this moment of transition first of all as an opportunity to establish if you like his legacy now obviously this is more than just being about Samuel but he has enjoyed the privileged position And he has walked before the Lord, as he says there in verse 2. I have walked before you. And by implication, before the Lord. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. There's something credible about being able to stand up and say that, you know, I have had the privilege of walking before you and the Lord until this day. He's able to recount God's faithfulness and goodness to him over those decades. And he wants to make sure that the people understand this. So he gives a resume of his life's work, his legacy. It's not what happens when you eventually get to the end of the day and somebody will provide some kind of eulogy for you. So we're not talking about a, a eulogy here. Um, there's a difference between uh, resume virtues and uh, what we would call um, you know, the uh, eulogy virtues. Uh, resume virtues have to do with Uh, Skills and strategies that we have managed to uh, secure and convey as a means of success in our careers. Whereas uh, the eulogy is, you know, those virtues are usually the ones that are talked about at one's funeral. You know, no one uh, stands at a funeral and says, you know, he was a real bad egg. Generally, you don't get that. You know, then don't stand up and say we're glad to get rid of him. Um, you know, it's usually you know, couched in more acceptable language like you know, he was a colourful ca- character and, uh, but not without challenges you know, and really what you're saying is the guy is a pain in the neck but a resume looks at the skills and strategies and you can say true or false I mean, you know, this is how I've conducted myself over the X amount of years and the people could say, true or false. And I think if you look carefully at what Samuel is focusing on in these chapters, he, he's very much obviously centering on the ladder. You know, saying, look, examine my life. And you make the call. Is it true or is it false? So notice uh, what he tells us in first 1. He says indeed I have heeded your voice. Now he's talking to these people and he says you're the ones that have asked for a king and I've done what you've said. Verse 2 Now here's the king walking before you. And this king Saul is walking before him or before them. Uh, Saul's got all his future in front of him. Obviously limited as it was because we, we know the story. Um, but Samuel said, saying, here's this king walking before you. He's got all his future in front of him. And I have more behind me than I've got in front of me. I am old and I am gray. And look, look what he says. And my sons are with you. That, that's heartbreaking for any parent. And my sons are with you. They're not with me. They're not with my God. They're not following the path that I instructed them in and nurtured them in. They have rejected all that I told them and taught them. My sons are with you. And many can stand in Samuel's shoes—sons and daughters who are not with the Lord, being brought up, you know, hearing the gospel, being instructed in the catechism—but they're not with—they're not with us. And perhaps, you know, maybe tonight, you know, we'll spend. First 15 minutes praying for praying for children, our children, our grandchildren, pleading that God would save them. Life is unfolding for Samuel here. Just as life unfolds for many of us, but it's not as we had hoped, it's not as we had planned, not as we had prayed for. Prayed for the conversion of our sons, of our daughters. Samuel can identify with that. Now what Samuel does is put himself in the dock here. Uh, He puts himself in the dock and here comes the the resume. Uh, He's putting himself in the dock and he's essentially saying, you folk come forward now and testify in terms of the integrity of my leadership. Does it stand up to scrutiny, true or false? You know, leadership is very vulnerable. You know, when you, when you work, whether it's in front of a classroom or work in front of a, a lab or in an industry, wherever, wherever it is, whatever it is, whatever it might be, uh, certainly in uh, political or pastoral leadership, there is an immense vulnerability that attaches itself to it because you are before the scrutiny of people and you're routinely under the spotlight. Whether one seeks it or not, inevitably it's there. And that's one of the reasons James, speaking in pastoral terms, says, you know, probably not a good idea to put your hand up and say, you know, I'll be a teacher in the church. Because after all, you'll be judged with greater strictness. It, it takes place, doesn't it, in the in the presence of God and before the con- congregation. And therefore, it's not to be entered upon, as we say in a wedding service. It's not to be entered upon lightly or carelessly, but thoughtfully, with reverence. It's reverence to God and. Due consideration of the purpose for which it was established by God. You know, the faithful teaching and proclamation of the word of God. And so Samuel says, you just check and see whether I have taken anybody's ox. Whether I took somebody's donkey. You check and see whether I defrauded anybody. Anybody. Or whether I oppressed anybody. In other words. I'm going to stand here. And you lot can have a conversation. With yourselves. And. You can determine. Whether my leadership. Has been marked by bribery. And self-promotion. Now. Remember when the possibility of a king. Was introduced. Back in chapter 8, Samuel said to them, you know, if the king ends up on the wrong side of the equation, then he'll be on the take. He says, he'll take your your donkeys, he'll take your sons, he'll take your daughters, he'll take the best of your land, he'll take your taxes, take your money through tax. Uh, He'll be take, take, take. And now Samuel says to them, I didn't do that, did I? I didn't take, take, take. And they said, Yeah, that's right. That's true. We agree. Verses four and five. You have not cheated, you've not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you. Now here's the thing. This is not, as I say, this is not just about Samuel in terms of his character. It is true of his character. But it's about Samuel in terms of his leadership. And of the leadership that had been entrusted to him as judge. And in some measure, in light of what follows now, he's actually saying to these people testify to the fact that that old style of leadership that you're harping on about was really pretty good. And so they're actually saying, yes it was. Because he's really setting them up so that his vindication leads to their condemnation. And so we move from his legacy to something of a summary of Israel's history which you will notice begins in verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people and he moves into the prosecutor's role rather than being the defendant. Uh, Samuel said to the people the Lord is witness and I want you, what I want you to do uh, is to stand still. says in verse 7. That I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and to your fathers. He says I want you to think about how immensely good God has been to you as you survey history. In order that the contrast between the reliability of God and the fickleness of God. Of the people of God. May be unmistakable. The reason. I want you to stand still. And reflect upon these things. And he's going to do it again. When we get to the end of the chapter. We you just look down at verse 24. Uh, the second part of verse 24. Um, he says. Consider. What great things. He has done for you. And. And gets back up there a little bit. Put down the wrong first. But he actually says to them, You stand still again and consider the great things that God has done for you. And the reason he wants them to stand still is to consider the immensity of God's goodness. In contrast to the poverty, the fickleness of the people's response. Now, I'm not going to delve into this. Uh, deeply, you'll be familiar with it, obviously. But you see, the starting point is the Exodus there in verse six and verse seven. It says in verse six, "It's the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt." The people were in Egypt. God granted deliverance through Moses and Aaron. However, verse nine, and we move into the period of the judges. However, they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. Now, the important thing to get from this is straightforward. And you can see it if you read the book of Judges and you're familiar with the book of Judges. What he's pointing out is there is this recurring Pattern amongst the people of God, this recurring pattern of their fickleness. Uh, and you know the, the cyclical pattern. You know, they, they find themselves in bondage. They cry out to God in their difficulty. The Lord provides a deliverer, sets them free. They promptly then forget, get themselves back into bondage, they cry out to the Lord for deliverance. He sends another deliverer, sets them free, and, well, we know what happens. It's like Groundhog Day. And in that line, you have these individuals that he mentions here. People that God raised up as deliverers. Jeroboam and Beden or Barak, Jephthah. and even includes himself, Samuel. It says so. They so they forgot their God. Even though the exhortation of the Bible is remember, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. It doesn't mean remember that there is a Creator. It means to dwell upon this fact, you know, get down underneath the reality of the goodness of God. But they forgot. And it's actually worse. They choose to forget. It was inconvenient for them to consider God in all of his holiness and in all of his might. And so they deliberately turned their back on him despite the fact that they had been warned. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, on a couple of occasions, Moses says to the people, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. It's very straightforward. And when you think about the celebrations and the offerings, etc., at the end of uh, chapter eleven and the testimony here of um, forgetting God. You know sometimes our you know the worship of the people of God can just be all show, there's no heart in it. And it seems to be that's how it was, you know, for those folks. And let's not sit in judgment on these people as I said last week because we are all many Israel's. At least, you know I'm a many Israel. When I look at my own heart here, do you, do you ever choose to forget the Lord? I, I won't ask you, as, you know, for an answer to that, but just think about it. Do you ever choose to forget the Lord? As some are shaking their heads saying no, some are nodding their heads saying yes. But, but come on in your heart. You answer that question before God, do you ever choose to forget choose to forget the Lord? I think about it. In the face of temptation, in the face of temptation, are we going down the pathway of his kingship? Or are we going to look for another way? to manoeuvre the circumstances so that we can justify enjoying this enticing sin deliberate choice they forgot him and then in verse 10 moving further down the slippery slope they forsook him now as I say we want to give time for prayer so I want to pause here and, you know, we we'll have lots to ponder and reflect upon and certainly pray about in the light of these verses. And said we'll, after we sing this hymn, you take 10, 15 minutes to pray, you know, specifically for, you know, family, sons, daughters, grandchildren that are saved.